0: Hey, you are listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc So many good things that you've already heard in messages today, and actually you proclaimed them. I didn't proclaim them. And so you are preaching today, maybe to yourselves, about the greatness of our God. There is a a (laughs) couple—I'm sorry, I'm laughing because this is a funny Um, story—a couple in their 90s having problems remembering things. And they were in their 90s, okay? So they decided to go to the doctor for a checkup. The doctor tells them they're physically okay, but they might have to start writing things down to help them remember Well, later that night, after watching some TV, the old man gets up from his chair and his wife asks, "Uh, where are you going? To the kitchen, he replies, he says, well, will you get me a bowl of ice cream? Husband says, sure. She gently reminds him now, don't you think you should write it down so you can remember it? He says, no, I can remember that. then she says, well, I'd like to have some strawberries on top of it as well. You better write that down because I know you'll forget that. He says, I can remember that bowl of ice cream with strawberries, No problem. She said, I'd, I'd like to have some whipped cream on it as well. I'm certain you're going to forget that, so you better write it down. Irritated, he says, I don't need to write it down. I can remember that. Ice cream with strawberries and whipped cream. He grumbles and walks into the kitchen. Ever been there? About 20 minutes later, the old man returns from the kitchen and hands his wife a plate of bacon and eggs. She stares at the plate for a moment and says, Where's my toast? Oh, I can laugh at that because I know I'm headed there, you know? I'm going that direction, and that's my life. It's your life. We're going that direction. And I believe that there are many believers and many unbelievers today who have short-term memory problems, and we need to write it down. And today you're going to hear that it's written down And it's a truth that's written down about who Christ Jesus is. And it's why we will sing songs like the song, Yet Not I, but Through Christ That Lives in Me. Because it's a song to help us live out our passions when we forget. Well, how did this song get written? A little bit about that. This song that we're going to sing after we get done with this message was written by a couple of people um, from a church called, or a group called City of Light, the music ministry of St. Paul's Anklean Church in Sydney, Australia. And one of those writers by the name of Rich Thompson tells us that it took the team, hear this, three months to write this song. Why? Because they wanted it to be right. They wanted to include everything in the message that it needed to be included and they wanted to dive deep into the idea of what it meant for Christ to dwell in all of us and to be incredibly profound mystery of truth that indeed, as, as they began to write and rewrite and struggle for every word, they took time to slow down and realize that the words became so much richer. What did they, where did that song come from? Where did it get developed from? It actually began by hearing the word of God. It was inspired by a sermon preached in their church on Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, which reads this way. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me." And from that, they started saying, how does that play out for us in the church? How do we live it out in me? And they began looking at that, and so they asked the question, what do you reckon it means? How's that work for me and you? And that inspired the thesis statement for the song, which is the title for the song, Yet Not I, But Christ Who Lives in Me. It inspired their passions, and I would challenge you, as you hear the word of God, whether it be in a small group or in a class, that you would allow the passions to live out inside of you, because who knows, you might be the writer of a next song that people sing. But it also reminded them of who you were before you came to faith. Before you met up with Christ Jesus, the song's going to kind of tell us about who we were before we met up with Jesus. Prior to meeting up with Jesus, every decision made greater to our fleshly desires. We were interested only in pleasing ourselves. And yet because of the Holy Spirit, who wasn't dwelling in us at time, who now dwells in us, we now remember who we are and what it is we're supposed to be doing. And we are now proclaim, as in the text of the song that we're going to sing, that we are people that follow after Christ Jesus, not because of anything we can do, but because he lives in us. But it also tells of what every believer comes to find out about themselves. This song is going to help us understand who we really are. We've already sung some of those songs today. In this song, there's going to be a process we're going to go through. Even for someone who's quickly convicted of a need about Jesus and makes a commitment quickly toward Jesus, the process is still there. There's some basic knowledge that comes to our head and to our heart. And then there's a response, and it includes a confession and a declaration of God, and hopefully publicly in some way, there's repentance that happens in our life. We change from who we used to be, and there's a baptism that happens in our life that cleanses us from who we are. And through it all, something rather incredible occurs. And Paul refers to it in Colossians 1 as Christ in you, the hope of glory. And one of the writers in the songs put it this way. When he was writing about the song, he said, having Christ in us does not mean we do not do more work and neither does it mean we do it all. Rather, we contend with this energy That we get from Christ. Even our final resurrection is made possible by the gift of Christ in us. He will bring us to glory in our weaknesses. He is strong and He will complete the work that He's begun. He Himself has been in us, leading us step by step all the way home. Every believer has been given this gift and it's worth singing about. That's what they said. So let's learn about this if we can the power that we're given by having Christ in us. There's two different texts I want to look at, and then we're going to stop and look at just one verse in Galatians chapter two. But let's look at the two verses that we're referring to the song about, one of them in Colossians chapter one, verse 24 through 29. Colossians one, 24 through 29. And again, at the very end of the verse, we're going to hear this Christ in me verse that we're going to hear. Look at verse 24 of Colossians one. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up my, in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is in Christ, which is in the church. I have become its servants by the commission of God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is in Christ in you, the hope. Of glory. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ to this and I labor, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. And then I'd like you to turn to Galatians, if we could. Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. And again, that's where we're going to come up with this little kind of how, how, we, how we learn about this power of Christ in us. In Galatians chapter 2, 19 through 21. It says, for the law, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for its righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. I'm going to, if we can, take a look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and just break that piece down for us about how Christ lives in you. First off, we take it this way. The first part of the verse says that the old is finished, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The old is finished. Now, I'm going to say the old is finished because it's crucified with Christ, and because it's crucified with Christ, I'm going to say there's no better time for us to talk than about the Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to ask you if you would, to go ahead and grab the communion that's nearby. And I want you to listen to these words about the old self that's finished in you. So as you open it and you begin to talk about this, we have the first part of the verse that says, I am crucified with Christ. Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I don't remember going to the cross and getting myself nailed there. Do you? But we are. When we say yes to Christ Jesus, we actually submit to the idea that we've been crucified with him. And that means that my old self is now dead. My old self is dead. Your old self is dead. The old self is finished. The old man is crucified, totally finished. And believers sometimes act as if they still have the old man sometimes. If they still have it there, their mind has to be renewed to the fact that they no longer have the old man. And so I want you to hear me on this as we take communion today. Christ crucified the old you at Calvary. Christ crucified the old you at Calvary. And you are no longer the old man. You are a new person in Christ Jesus now. First Peter chapter two verses one through three says it this way: Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk, so that in it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, pick up on the confidence of what we're going to hear in the song that we're going to sing here in a few minutes. No fate I dread. I know I am forgiven, the future sure, the price has been paid, for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave, to this I hold my sin has been defeated, and Jesus now and forever is my plea, oh the chains are released and I can sing, I am free, yet not I, but to Christ in me. So when you come to the cross and when you come to this moment of communion and you come to think about what it is that you're holding in your hand, our minds are renewed by the fact that the old man is finished. The old Brian is gone. And all that's left is the new Brian in Christ Jesus. Now I know I said my name, but you could say your name. This is a moment that you have. The old me is no longer me, not because of anything I've done, but because of what he did on the cross for me. Would you take a moment to thank him for what it is he did in you? Lord God, we come to you thanking you one more time for not just dying to yourself, but dying for each of us, that you had us in mind as you came here, as you ministered, as you shared uh, your life with other people, you demonstrated what it was like to give up your life for the entire world. And in that, my old self was crucified. And I come to you now thanking you for that. I come to you thanking you for the fact that my past has now been nailed to the cross. And I thank you so much for freeing me and allowing me to be resurrected and righteous, not because of anything I've done, but because of your incredible love for each of us. Help us to remember now as you remember your body and your blood today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And now church family, would you take this bread and eat it, remembering the body of our Savior was nailed on your behalf and then take the cup and remember again his blood that was shed on your behalf to bring you life everlasting the old man is crucified finished but then the verse goes on second part of it is nevertheless you live Nevertheless, you live. And we tend to assume God mends our broken hearts and we accept Jesus Christ into salvation, but that's not the case. Rather, he performs open-heart surgery by removing our old, selfish hearts and replacing them with new ones designed to give us righteousness rather than foolishness. And so the old man is gone, but you still exist. You're still here. And that's right, you still live. But not by the old self, but by... by by the new self because the old self has been crucified. It's finished. Remember, we just said that. And now your new identity is in Christ. It's in you. You're no longer the you you used to be. You see, without accepting Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord, your interaction with the Spirit of God is external at best. In other words, the Spirit convicts us of sin in a general sense and draws us toward salvation through repentance. However, we're truly made alive and born again when God supernaturally implants his spirit directly into your heart, giving you a second chance, giving me a second chance. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27 probably says it better than I could say it. It says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, anybody else but me, I don't know if there's anybody else but me who's glad today that you no longer have your old heart. I mean, I praise God that I don't have a calloused heart that I used to have. Anybody else but me on that one who can say I'm so glad my old heart isn't my old heart anymore. I'm glad I had a heart transplant. And we have this third part in the verse in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's not because of you. All of what happened, all of what took place, this crucifixion of the old self and all of that, and the removal and the fact that you still live, it's not because of you. We have this part in the song, yet not I. See, I am not the source of this new life. You and I, we're just branches. We're not the roots. He's the roots. He's the foundation of life. You and I, we're not just We're not the fountainhead of the spring of life. I think we tend to think we are. We're only vessels. We're channels. We're conduits through Christ and how his life flows through us. We have water to share with other people and want to splash on them because it's yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. I can't help but let you get wet whenever you're around me. I'm not the the one who gives the water. I'm just the one who's just dripping off of me. And I can't help but let you have it too. But the problem is, is that our heart requires time to heal immediately after surgery, doesn't it? And soon we learn to function in the fact that rehabilitation is necessary for a patient who's had a new heart transplant. And so it is in your life as my life as well. We need rehabilitation to learn how to walk with Christ in submission to him and to his authority and to his obedience. Here's the deal. You will forever be in rehab. You and I will forever be in rehab. We're still working on how to get this right. That's why we're here. Like, we're in rehab all the time. Like, when am I going to get a rehab? When am I going to be completely? You're not. Not until you go home. But you're working on it, and you're trying to work on it, and you continue to keep working on it. Because the process of spiritual regeneration begins a new life in Christ when he died to set you free, the chains of which he now binds you. Listen to what Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 says. It says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of having the hope of eternal life. Man, that's a great verse. And here's how it plays out in the song that we're going to sing. We sing it this way. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, and freedom, my steadfast love, and deep and boundless peace. And I just have to say this this way in the song because it, it kind of comes out for me when I get to singing it. So bear with me on how I'm presenting it. Ah, oh, righteousness, yet not I. Ah, oh, freedom, yet not I. Wow. Steadfast love, yet not I. Oh, deep and boundless peace, yet not I. Here's the last thing in this verse, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Only when Christ is in you does it happen. And in and, 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 and Colossians chapter 3, it says, but Christ lives in me, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, it says it this way. Now Christ is my life. Now, Christ is my life. And that means that you don't have to fight to live the Christian life. It's Christ's business to live in you. And that means I got to allow Christ to live within me. I have to surrender and let him live in me. And the secret is not struggling, but resting. It's not in doing, but depending. It's not in believing, but expecting Christ to live in in us. And Christianity has become kind of a religion of doing instead of depending. Do you depend on Christ to carry you? The Christian journey is allowing someone else to carry you because you can't. I know, you've tried. It's fatiguing. Let him carry you. The Christian journey needs to make that happen. This allows you, you can stop trying to run the show and allow Christ to do it by living in you. Colossians, if I can go back to again, Colossians chapter two, verses nine through 15, a rather long text, so I'm going to read it all. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised and putting off the old sinful nature, not with circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave you all of your sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that is against us and that stood oppressed to us, opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." How much power do you need to get today other than from God's word? It's there. Did you hear it? It says that Christ brought you into fullness. Christ brought you into fullness. How does he do that? By being in you. It's not anything you did. But then I just want to turn, if we can, our attention to one lesson, if we can. Like, so I preach the thing. Is there anything in scripture that tells us where somebody actually did this? Yes. Lots of places. I'm just going to give you one. It's in Acts chapter 4. So if you don't mind turning to Acts chapter 4, it's rather long text. Again, I could tell you the story, but I'd much rather you hear it right from God's word. Acts chapter 4, verses 1. I thought I was going to read verse 5, but I got to read all of it. So we're going to in verse 1 and we're going to read through verse 31. It says, then, and I'll tell you the story after I read this part. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who had heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem ananias the high priest was there and so was caiaphas john alexander and the other men of high priest's family they had peter and john brought to them and began to question them by what power or what name did you do this and then peter filled with the holy spirit that's important said to them rulers and elders of the people if you are being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed then this is how know this You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that man stands before you healed. He is the stone your builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which you must be saved. But when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note of these men when they'd been with Jesus. Jesus. But since they could, they could see the man who had been healed standing with them there, there was, there was nothing they could say. And so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. And what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from, spe- from, from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer anyone in the name. And they called them in again and commanded them not to speak, to teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourself whether it is right from God's sight to obey rather than God. For we cannot speak about what we have seen. I'm sorry. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, let them go. They let them go and they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back down to their people and reported all the chief priests and elders all that they had seen. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant and father David. Why do nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against the holy servant Jesus, whom he anointed. They did what your power decided before should happen. And now... Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is a huge text in regards to an example of how you have Christ living in you. Let me break it down for you because there's some lessons we can learn about who we are in Jesus and we'll run through them quickly and we'll be done today. The first one is this. It's just normal folks doing things they never thought possible. It's regular everyday Joes doing what it is that they do with no expectations of anything else other than just being yourself. Allowing God to work in you Consider the text Peter and John Have been Had just healed a crippled man In Acts chapter 3 Verses 1 through 10 And when the crowd gathers Peter seizes the moment To preach a gospel message At the end of Acts chapter 3 11 through 26 And then they are arrested And thrown in jail And Peter addresses the leaders In Acts chapter 4 So we have this Number one The Jewish leaders were astonished By the boldness of Peter and John Astonished Number two they were impressed with their background. And number three, this is huge, and you gotta hear this one today. They realized that they had been with Jesus. What made them so grandly unique? It wasn't their education, it wasn't their credentials, it wasn't their religious pedigree, it was the fact that they were spirit-filled, bold people of normal personalities born out of knowing who Jesus was, and they just did it. Right there and then, in front of everyone. Everyone was watching. Have you ever been have you ever boldly told the truth to someone about who Jesus is? And when you got done, you went, Where did that come from? Does that ever happen to you before? Have you ever prayed fervently for somebody? And and words came out of your mouth and you were praying in such a way that you like i have no idea how i prayed that prayer how i how i did that moment you ever given counsel or advice to somebody and when you get done you go well that was really profound like for somebody like me to say where did that come from it wasn't from you it was from him it was from him And I have to tell you that every day I'm in that spot where I'm just like, I can't believe that I just did that, that I just said that, that I just went there. And y'all are going, well, you're a preacher, you're supposed to. Stop. This is normal, everyday people doing the job of having Christ live in them. That's it. The reality of difference between me and you is that I do this all the time, and you do it when you have time, right? And that time is whenever you're at. But I do the same thing wherever I go. I've got to do the same thing. Here's the second thing about this text from Acts that we learn. You are not just around Jesus, but you're with Jesus. There's a difference between being around Jesus and being with Jesus. You ever been labeled for something you just don't know that you weren't? You didn't know you were that until you were labeled that. Let me give you this illustration. As part of an admissions procedure in the hospital, patients were asked if they had any allergic reactions to anything. And if they were, they were to print it on the band of their patient's wrist, okay? The nurses were supposed to do this. Once when an elderly woman had had any allergies, she asked, she said she couldn't eat bananas. And imagine the surprise when several hours later, an irate son came out of a nurse's station demanding, who's responsible for labeling my mother bananas? This is what happens to people who start to talk like Jesus. They're labeled Bananas. What's wrong with you? Peter and John may have been labeled bananas by some. And here's my response to that it's verse four, and it's critical to hear in in the text we just read. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Why? Because they healed one man one day and decided to talk about where it came from. That's where it happened and their label wasn't bananas, but these men have been with Jesus. Can that be said about you? You have been with Jesus. See, there's a difference between being around Jesus and being with Jesus. There's a difference between being around Christians and being with Jesus. There's a difference than being around Christian events and being with Jesus. There's a difference than being around the church and being with Jesus. The disciples had been with Jesus, and they knew him intimately, and that changed everything that they did. And even their enemies could see the difference that Christ had made in their lives, and we might call this the Doctrine of Unconscious Influence. We don't know what others know about us until they start to see what oozes out of us. Are you with Jesus? Are you around Jesus? Here's a third thing for us it requires nothing more than obedience. I mean, if you remember, Peter and John were not looking for any confrontation. They weren't going, hey, let's see if we can create a problem and get arrested for it. We're not, we're bored. We don't have anything else to do. No, in Acts chapter 3 verse 1, it says this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple for a time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. They were just going in to go have prayer. That's all they wanted to do. And what happened from that? Two chapters later, they're arrested and thrown out and they said don't talk anymore about jesus all because they went to go pray and you just think man I was just going to church one day and all of a sudden this happened that's what happened to them they were just going to the temple they were just being obedient and there's nothing more than just ordinary obedience and here's the here's the cry for me when are you obedient just go doing what just go do being what obedience is in front of you being obedience is the next thing in front of you so do it And when you do, it'll probably get you in trouble. I'm just telling you. It'll probably get you in trouble. In obedience to Christ, Peter and John, like you and me, could sing with confidence out of the song, the night is dark. But I am not forsaken, for by my side the Savior he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. For this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Then I would see in this text that they were ready to give an answer. Why did Peter and John not... I mean, why were Peter and John not intimidated by their arrest at all? I mean, like, what was holding them back? How could they dare speak so freely? What was their secret? What, was the, what were the religious leaders considering all the facts? They came to one simple conclusion. They had been with Jesus. And they were ready to tell anybody about it. And 1 Peter chapter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Here's another thing that I would see from this text. Discouragement never remains. Let me just say discouragement for you today. Joe Burroughs. Joe Burroughs. Discouragement. The season's over. His hand's gone. We can't play anymore. Maybe you're discouraged by the voting results that took place on November the 7th. Or you're discouraged by what's going on in Israel right now. Let me remind you of something in case you've forgotten. it. Jesus wins. Just in case you've forgotten. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. There's not room for discouragement when I truly live like I believe that. And Jesus came in the middle of an oppressed people and he gave them hope. He came in a dark world and he gave them light. He came in a hated world and he gave them love. And as far as I know, that hasn't changed yet. It's our job to make sure that we do what Jesus was doing because he's not here anymore and he's left us with with us to do it. And that means we don't live discouraged. And if you're a converted follower of Jesus, he's living in you then you're meant to live with confidence. You're meant to go forward with the expectation that you'll do the right thing, even if nobody else does it with you. Consequently, you can move forward without wasting all sorts of nervous and anxious energy on doubt and self-recrimination and worry. God is very near you. He's not far from anybody. And so for his children, he's near, and he's cheering you on, and he's drawing you to the right things. He's encouraging you, and he's forgiving you not to stumble. Step on discouragement, because Jesus always wins he always wins here's another thing i would tell you that your life needs to carry the aroma of heaven and that jesus would rub off on you that means he would rub off on others obviously you want something for jesus to rub off on exactly what does that look like i find it hard to improve on john chapter 1 verse 14 when it says that jesus was full of grace and truth He was full of grace and truth, and and anyone can be truthful some of the time and loving some of the time. Jesus was filled to overflowing with both truth and grace. He spoke the truth with grace, and he showed grace and truth, and Jesus never had to choose between truth and grace, and those who follow him, they have grace and truth, and it rubs off on us, and then there's a life that carries around this aroma of heaven on us as I thought I was remembering somebody who'd made a certain Christian leader and would say this about that Christian leader, whenever he entered the room, I felt a little closer to heaven. Wouldn't that be a great statement for each of us to have said about us? And sometimes when we meet with people, we can tell them where they've been recently. I know that's true for me because it's where I've been eating. I love Mexican food. I'm not, I'm not here to, to disagree with that fact. I love Mexican food. I love Skyline Chili and I love Chinese food. I want you to know, everybody knows exactly where I've been. All I got to do is walk in the room. And they go, you smell like Skyline. You'd be right. Sometimes because it's still dripping on me, but sometimes it's because they smell me. Mexican food, smell me. Chinese food, smell me. And this is how we have the aroma of how we enter a room. We become people with the aroma of heaven on us. And there's a certain quality among committed followers of Jesus that is immediately recognized by others. Some Christians walk into a room and there's an aroma about them. It permeates their entire bodies, it's everything and who they are. The aroma gives them away. They've been with Jesus. And I know a few people like that in my life. And I know a man or woman who's filled with grace and truth draws you closer to the Lord whether you're talking or listening or laughing or crying or standing or sitting or following or leading, they've been with Jesus and you can tell. Here's our last thing. We'll be on our way. Christ-likeness never happens on accident. You're going to have to work at it. You want to be like Christ? You're going to have to live like it. If you want to seek the spirit of Christ, you're going to have to ask him. You don't accidentally fall into being like Christ, nor does it happen by osmosis, hanging around people who are going to church or or have religious notions. As I was preparing for this message, I began to sing an old song called Breathe On Me, written by Edwin Hatch. I took a look at his picture. That dude had some funky hair going on in the 1800s. Uh, Everybody thinks my head's funny. Boy, that guy had some funky hair going on. But this is what he said in regards to that song. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may love the way you love and do what you would do. I like that song because it puts the emphasis in the right place. We do not become like Christ merely by self-effort. Without the Holy Spirit, we stay exactly as we are. So as we conclude and our team comes to sing today, let me share it to you this way. Because we've talked a lot about how to come to Christ in repentance and baptism and confession and all of those kinds of things. Here's what I want to say. There was a soldier who was court-martialed for sleeping at his post. And he claimed <laughs> that he was praying. I think that's funny. With mockery, he was asked to pray during his trial. And when he finished, the charges were dropped. It was concluded that he had to spend extended time in private prayer to pray publicly like that in a crisis. They were convinced by how he prayed that he had been with Jesus and not missing his post. There's an intrinsic boldness that comes from being in the presence of God. And when you've been with Jesus, you will radiate the presence of God And if we get up each day and spend time with Jesus, reading his word, talking to him in prayer, we step out the door, we're gonna fear nothing. Why? Because Jesus wins. And whether we're walking down the halls of an unfamiliar school or an uncertain job situation or facing some medical procedure that we have to do or some other challenge, See how easier it is when you've spent time in the presence of God. Others will note too and they'll say, he's been with Jesus, she's been with Jesus. How you doing that? Yet not I, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. There isn't anything fancy, there isn't anything special. It's just having Christ Jesus living in me and knowing that he's there. It helps me to win. It helps you to win. I'm going to ask you to stand before we sing this great hymn, this great anthem. Lord God, we come before you now admitting that we don't always get it right. And so today we're asking for you to help us to write it down, to keep it in our memory bank so that we won't forget that you are in us. And that is where power and strength comes from. And that's where the ability is to be able to do the next thing we're going to do. Lord, we talked about confession and repentance and baptism today. And I know that there might be somebody that needs to make that decision today. But beyond all of that decision-making process, God, every one of us in this room needs a decision to be made. And that is not to be discouraged by what it is that life happens to us. But that Christ lives in me. And that you win because of that. Allow our discouragement to be wiped away. And let us exalt you again one more time as we sing this anthem before you. We give it to you now in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com.